Let's, so let's get there. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. This is what we spoke about the last time I preached. As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. We now ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. So you are living to please God. We, God, we instructed you on what it means to please God. So we gave you the gospel, but we didn't just give you the gospel, the good news about what Jesus did for you. We also explained what that means for your life, for your everyday life, and how your life interacts with that gospel, and how your life changes when that gospel gets hold of your heart and begins to change the insides that eventually come onto the outsides of what you do and how you live. And we ask you to do that more and more. You've, you've started doing that, but we, we want to ask you, do that more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of Jesus. These instructions weren't just given to you by me, Paul says. These were Jesus' instructions. These were God's instructions to you. And the idea there was, what does it mean to please God? And we spoke about, you cannot please God without faith. You have to have faith if you want to please God. And you cannot please God without faith, Hebrews talks about. And then in chapter, verses 3 to the end of chapter 4, it goes on and speaks about four ways in which we can please God, four practical ways in which we can please God. And I want to address the first one this morning, which is from verse 3 down to verse 7. And this is what it says. It is God's will. Notice those words. So you want to please God. If we want to please God, we've got to do God's will. You don't please the Father by not doing His will. You want to please the Father, do His will. Remember, He's not just a Father. He's the Father. He's Father God. He is Creator God. So He says, you want to please, you want to live to please Him, you've got to do His will. So it is God's will. So now He's going to explain to us what God's will is. It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Sanctified is the made holy. Made more like Jesus. It is God's will that you become more like Jesus as you walk with Jesus. That's God's will for our lives. You want to know what God's will is for your life? This is the will of God for all of our lives before we get to the specific will of God for our life, for my life. This is the general will of God for everybody's life that calls Jesus Lord. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. That each of you, amazing, eh? Each of you, it doesn't, it doesn't, it's very clear and very specific that each of you, each of you, because every, this applies to everybody, because everybody is at risk in this area. The whole church, everybody. Each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. So these instructions are not given to people that do not know God. These instructions, the will of God is given here to people that do know God. People that don't know God cannot live this life. You need a revelation of who He is. We need a revelation of faith in Him. You need a revelation of wanting to live a life that pleases Him. And out of that overflow of pleasing Him, this life comes. 
And if you haven't got that revelation, very difficult, you can't live this life. You have no reason to want to live this life. So he says, you can't, this life is, don't live like the pagans do. Those that don't know God, that are agnostic, that are atheistic towards God, they don't, they don't get God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Let me just read that again because I've spoken in between. It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in a passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins as we told you and warned you before. This is a serious matter. There are consequences for this matter. Please listen to me on this. Whether you're young or whether you're old, this is a serious matter. Paul goes and preaches the gospel to the Thessalonians. He's only there for a short time and he's already instructing them about this because of the licentious, sexually immoral, immoral climate that they lived in in that day. It was so profoundly immoral that he had to preach the gospel. The joy and the life and the faith was there and instantly he starts to preach a life that is in accord with the gospel. This is in the scriptures. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God. The very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. So this is a profoundly strong statement. In fact, I haven't actually realized how strong it is until I've actually studied it. Only in studying it, I've realized this is profoundly strong. This is, not, this is not Paul messing around and kind of beating around the bush here. This is Paul getting to the point and speaking to, into their lives to, to bring an adjustment to their lifestyles by the grace of God. Because they know Jesus. Because they're living to please the Father. We do need to understand this. That in first century Roman culture, it was marked by sexual immorality. Don't think that we, are, that we live in some kind of, it was marked, it was probably worse than our day. Chastity and sexual purity were almost unknown values of the day, commentators will say. In fact, an ancient writer, Demosthenes, expressed the generally amoral view of sex in the ancient Roman culture by saying this, we keep prostitutes for pleasure, we keep mistresses for the day-to-day -day needs of the body, and we keep wives for the faithful guardianship of our homes. That was the general culture of the day. It was almost not seen as immoral if you were cheating on your wife or committing adultery. So Paul knows that he needs to get this in there very quickly following the gospel because this is going to take them away from Jesus, not towards Jesus. This morning, I believe God wants to redeem people's sexuality. This is not a word of condemnation. This is a word of stirring and faith 
for the sake of redemption. Because everything in God, everything in, 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 in what He does is to redeem, is to restore. Everything He does is for that. You see, Christians weren't to take their standards off the sexually moral, uh, uh, immoral culture of the day. They were to take it from God. Friends, please do not become like the culture around us. What we Christians do with our sexuality is one of the most important prophetic statements of our time. It is one of the most important prophetic statements of our time. Two virgins got married yesterday at 27 and 26 years old. And let me tell you now, when they're working in the marketplace, people cannot believe that one, they're getting married. Why are you even getting married? Number two, why aren't you living together and sleeping together? Confounded by that. But the amazing thing about yesterday is that a bride walked with her dad, a pure bride. She lived by the grace of God all her life, by the grace of God that kept her pure. You need the grace of God to keep you pure as much as you need the grace of God to restore your purity when it is lost. God does both, but let's go for the first. Twenty-seven and twenty-six years old, virgins. You see, friends, this is the will of God. The most profound thing about that wedding, as Nick alluded to earlier, is when she walked down the pres down the down the aisle with her dad. The presence of God was palpable. presence of God was palpable by men and women that honored each other and honored God. If you've messed up, today is the day when you change that, let God restore and redeem you and begin to honor Him and honor the partners, the spouses that you're with. Today is the day. Not tomorrow, today, now, in the next half an hour. Because God can do this in a moment. When he walks into the room, everything changes. You see, friends, this was the will of God. That they be sanctified, that they be set apart, that they be consecrated, that they, that they may be made unlike the rest of the culture. That they should avoid sexual immorality. That word is the word pornea, where we get our English word pornography from. And it was a general big idea word referring to any sexual relationship outside of the marriage covenant. Any, all sexual behavior outside of the marriage covenant, friends, is sin. It isn't enough to say, well, we have not had sexual intercourse with someone that's not your spouse, but we've seen and done everything else. You know, Leviticus 18 says this. It has, if you go and read it, it has line after line after line after line of this, saying this. Do not uncover the nakedness of literally every possible relationship that you can have 
except your wife or your spouse. You see, friends, the idea there is that nakedness of an individual belongs to their spouse and to no one else. That's what we're aiming for. I keep saying to you, this is not to condemn you. That's where we're aiming. That's where I want the young people of this church. That's where I want the older people that are in, outside of marriage. That's where I want them to aim. Because you want the presence of God in your marriage. You want the presence of God in your relationship. You want the presence of God in the process before He has to restore you and redeem you. You want to walk with Him in the grace. That kind of grace. You see, friends, the strategy of the enemy is to encourage sex outside of marriage and to discourage sex inside of marriage. And that's what happens. The strategy of the enemy is encourage sex outside of marriage and discourage sex inside of marriage. It needs to be the other way around, but that's the enemy's strategy. And often what happens is when, we've, when we're having sex outside of marriage, we end up battling with sex inside of marriage. That is my experience of ministering and helping in marriages, lots and lots of people's marriages. And there's a whole bunch of reasons for that. One of them is shame. Because shame enters into your relationship. You see, friends... This Christian imperative for Christians, for us that believe in Jesus, this is the will of God. Listen, it's the will of God for everybody, but, but, it's the, but for us that know Him, we can fulfill the will of God by the power of the Spirit. I love what Romans chapter 12, actually I'm not going to go there, I'm going to run out of time. Number two, in God's eyes, sexual sin is more than a fling with your body. It's more than a fling with your body. You see, we have a worldview that's crept into the, into the culture that your person is separate to your body. You can do anything with your body and it doesn't matter to you. It's only sex. It's just a physical thing. What you, what you do with your body sexually doesn't have any connection with what you are as a whole person. That's the lie that's being believed. Sex is purely physical and it's separate from love. In fact, men have, a, have, a, have affairs. I love my wife, but I, have, I cheat on her by having sex with somebody else. But I don't really love her. That's just sex. But I love my wife. Get deceived into thinking like that. It's kind of, we have this dichotomy. What I do with my body doesn't matter with what I do and to how it forms my whole person. And it creates a drastic divide between physical intimacy and emotional intimacy. Friends, the biblical worldview does not work like that. You can't do that. You think you can, but you can't. Sexuality is integrated into all of who you are. Who you are, all parts of you are all touching one another. Part, body, soul, spirit, all of you are together. You can't be operating in one and not be affecting the rest. Please listen to me today. 
You see, the most complete and intimate physical union, sex, is meant to be expressed in the most complete and intimate personal union of marriage. The nuclear power of the sexual relationship is meant to be contained in marriage and is beautiful in marriage. It's very quiet. And this is what Thessalonians says. Look at it in verse... He says, you must do it in an honorable and a holy and honorable way. Holy meaning distinct. You must live your life in a distinct and valuable way. So to live your life in a, in a, in a sexually immoral way is to not be distinct and to not be of value, you, you devaluing yourself and the other person. That's what it means. So you, you're becoming common. Listen to me now, ladies, girls. You're becoming common. I'm talking about a biblical way of common and holy. But can I say the culture, you're becoming common. You are not called to be common. You are holy, a daughter of the living God. You do not give your body away to a man until he's got the wherewithal to put a ring on your finger and commit his life to you for the rest of your life. You don't even show him your nakedness. You show him, give him nothing. Don't become common. Don't devalue yourself. Because you're scared of losing that relationship. If he's going to lose you, if he's going to leave you because you won't sleep with him, he's not worth keeping. Let him go in the name of Jesus. I'm going to tell you why, because it comes now. It's in the text. That's why I said this text is absolutely amazing. It's strong. It says you must learn, each of you must learn to control your body. must know, you must learn to understand this thing of self-control. You must learn to control your body and not live with passionate lust like the heathen do, that people that don't know God do. Because in this manner, you, you, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Can I just say, before you get married, that person you are dating is your brother or sister. You don't have sex with your brother or sister. Might be your brother and sister in Christ, but it is your brother and sister. That is not your husband or wife. That's your brother or sister. When they put a ring on your finger, you become husband and wife. Friends, this is not an old guy trying to get you to do religious stuff. I'm trying to tell you this because there's power in this process. I've seen it over and over again. And it's amazing that this happened yesterday. We went to this wedding and I'm preaching this text this morning. To wrong or take advantage of. Wrong means to sin against. 
So don't sin against your brother or sister by, taking, by, by having sex with them or, or going beyond the realm of, of what the Bible talks, talks about in terms of sexual immorality. You're sinning. But then I love this other word, take advantage of. Listen to me now, please, whether you're young or old. Because what happens is we get older and you think this doesn't apply to me because I'm not a 25-year-old anymore, I'm 45. It does apply to you. God help me if something happens to Heather and half the date again. God help me. Take advantage could be translated exploit. Listen to me now. Defraud or cheat. So don't sin against your brother or sister, but don't exploit, defraud, or cheat against your brother or sister by taking advantage of them sexually. It's connected with greed. So in that moment, greed is welling up in you and you're taking advantage. You're cheating that person. You're defrauding them. That's what the scriptures say. Don't think the word of God is archaic. Don't think the word of God is not ultimate truth. This is the way to live. You see, immorality is the opposite of honor. Honor is to value. Immorality is to defraud and to cheat. You're not just cheating when you have a rela an affair when you're married. You're cheating when you're in a relationship and you're having sex before marriage. According to the scriptures. You see, we cheat on them in greater ways than we can imagine, friends. We, the adulterer defrauds their spouse and their children. The promiscuous, uh, promiscuous person defrauds their future spouse and their future children. I had a young man want to come and date Natalie. And I said to him, please make sure that you treat her like you would want somebody else to treat your future wife because she's not your wife. And if you don't get married, the way another man will treat another woman that will ultimately become your wife is the way that you treat Natalie because she will become somebody else's wife. You see, you defraud your future spouse and your future children. And you defraud the partner that you're in sin with. It's strong language. Strong implication. There are three reasons that are given by the believers should live holy lives in this text. Number one, verse four, chapter 4, verse 7, God did not call us to be impure. God did not call you to do this. He called you to live holy and pure lives. I know we are weak and frail. That's why we have the grace of God. That's why we have people around us in community that love us, that can hold us to account and can restore us when we fail and when we fall. But did not, God did not call you to be impure. 4 verse 8. 
Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being but God. To go and live this way, friends, is not rejecting human standards. It's not rejecting stands preach. You're rejecting God's instruction. It will not go well with you if you reject God's instruction. And if you, reject, if you start rejecting God's instruction now, before you're married, it's a very small step to start instructing, in, in, um, disrespecting God's instruction after you're married. Don't go there. This is serious, friends. What you do with your sexuality is a profound prophetic statement to the world. Don't treat God's instruction as of little value and throw it away as though it's some archaic old school. Look, at we live in a world of emancipation. Friends, we live in a world of absolute broken, sexually broken people who think they can go and hook up all over the place and every time they do that, they're breaking themselves more and more and more. The testimonies validate that even if the ideology doesn't. 4 verse 6. The Lord will punish those who commit such sins. Friends, there are consequences to this. Friends, the God's hand is with those who are being defrauded and cheated. There's righteousness and justice at stake here in the heart of God. If he thinks this is defrauding and cheating. I'm not being overly harsh. I'm just telling you what the text says. There are consequences for this. There are heavenly consequences, but can I say there are natural consequences for this. God doesn't have to do anything. He just has to let this thing outwork itself, and there are consequences for it. Like I said, shame enters your relationship. Your relationship gets built on shame. And I've preached on shame before. The three evidences of shame are this. Number one, you put masks on. They were naked and had no shame. And then they fall in the garden and then they're naked with shame. And then they're covering themselves over. So now you're covering yourself up and are, and are hiding and you're putting masks on. So now you're going into a relationship with masks. And then, you, and then you break up with that person and then you go to the next person with a mask. And then you have sex with them and you put another mask on. And by the time you get married, you are covered in masks. You're no longer yourself. The second thing is you're unclean. That's the thing of shame in the scriptures, through the scriptures. You're never good enough. The third evidence, second evidence of shame is you're never good enough. When you feel you're not good enough, it's because you're carrying shame. And you know what? When you go into a sexual relationship and you start comparing yourself with the other sexual relationships, you're never good enough. And the curse of comparison comes on your sexual life when you're married. Because you can never measure up to the porn queens that you watch. Your wife will never measure up to that. That's a show. It's not real. That's not love. 
The third issue of shame is that you don't belong. You're an outcast. And so what happens is you live on the outskirts with each other. You see, the, the biggest, um, uh, what's the word, uh, thing that gets lost, I can't think of the word, the thing that gets lost with shame is intimacy. When you carry shame, you can't be intimate with the Father. Masks, never good enough, outcast, can't be there, got to move to the outskirts. Now you take that into your marriage. Masks, never good enough, outcasts, can't connect. It's one of the ways of the consequences of this. I say this to you today with a cry in my heart. Let's get this right. Parents, please, 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 please parent your children. Don't let the culture parent them. Speak this to them. Don't think, oh, you know what? I did that when I was that age. No. You did that, but then you found Jesus. Or you found a better way. Let them have live in the better way, not in what you used to do. Come on. God wants to restore some people today. I'm giving you this because I'm trying to give you vision for this. I'm trying to give young people and single people and married people vision for this. Because that word porneia is every kind of sexual sin, including homosexuality and adultery and pornography and masturbation, etc., etc. It's every kind of sexual sin and every other bit in between. I feel like God wants to restore some people. One, and I feel like some people need to make, put a stake in the ground in their life and say, God, I want to be that person. Please help me. Please give me the grace to be that person when I get married. You can't live this life without the grace of God. You can't live the will of God without the love of God. You can't live the, the commands of God without the grace of God. I feel like God wants to bestow on some people grace to live a life of sexual purity. And I feel like God wants to put on some people, restore some people back to wholeness so that they can begin to live a life of sexual purity just like it never happened. That's the restoration power of God. This is the picture I have in my head from the wedding yesterday. If the team wouldn't mind getting up onto the stage, please. In a wedding, the bride walks down the aisle with the father to be given to the groom. In a wedding, the groom waits in the front, or certainly in Western traditional weddings. The groom waits in the front to receive the bride. 
If you need to be restored, or if you need to make a statement, you might need to make a stand and say, God, let me live this life. Help me to live this life. And you're a man. I want you to come and stand in the front. If you're a woman and you feel like you need to make a statement and say, God, give me the strength to stay pure, please. Or Lord, please, I've blown it. You know I've blown it. Please restore me right now, Lord. I hear your word. Please restore me now. What I want you to do, ladies, I want you to go to the top of that aisle and I want you to walk down this aisle. Men, I want you to stand here. That's not your bride walking down, but just stand here like we would in the... Say, I stand with the groom today. Restored and strong. I stand with the bride today. I walk with the bride. And you don't need your father, a human being, to walk you down the aisle. You need Father God to walk you down the aisle. Because He's the one that restores you. He's the one that heals you. He's the one that actually takes hold of you. And I believe God is going to restore and bestow grace on people today whether you're a man or whether you're a woman so can we stand please I need you to be bold I need you to be courageous I need you to take a stand for God if you're a man, come and stand here. Face this way. Face this way. Because that's not your bride. This is your king. You're standing with your king, Jesus. And what's wonderful is I've called up two groups of people. So nobody, there's no need for embarrassment. Because you don't know which group of people these are part of. you're in a marriage and you're struggling with your sexuality come and take a stand today don't mess around friends. the consequences for you and your wife and your kids are immense they are generational just speak to a divorced person and let them tell you the pain and ladies just just wait there sorry apologies I trust that every step you take, that every step you take, you will experience the presence of the Father with His arm around you, affirming you, and healing you, and thanking you. I feel like God is going to completely restore some of you. Some of you have been divorced. God is going to take divorce off of you. 
Some of you have given away your sexuality cheaply. God is going to restore you. So as I start praying, just start walking down. And please, those that are standing, don't just stand there, guys. Pray. Just lift your hands and say, God, Father, I just pray for every man and woman here, every woman that walks down this aisle, Lord God. I pray for your healing power to come upon them, Lord God. I pray for your presence, your healing presence for these men and women, Lord God, that you would restore completely, that they would make a stand today, Lord God, that they would stand and stand and stand and stand and wait for their men, Lord God, when they get married one day, Lord God. I pray for that, Lord God. Just slowly walk, guys. Just slowly walk, like you were walking down the aisle. Don't run. You don't run down the aisle. You walk down the aisle. Slowly. Faith Whittle, there is such a special call over your life I love who God's made you to be you are naughty you are cheeky and you are beautiful that's who God's created you to be and God is going to bring a man into your life that is going to love naughty cheeky and beautiful and adventurous lives on the edge and wants to go further thank you now Jesus restore Lord restore Jesus we take a stand this morning Lord God we take a stand this morning Lord God I pray for those that are married that are standing here this morning Lord that are battling with their sex lives and their marriages, battling with intimacy. I pray this morning you would restore intimacy, you would take off the masks, that you would take away not good enough, Lord God, and yet you'd restore the outcast thinking, the belonging, and Father, you'd put them back together with their husband and wife, Lord, back together as one, Lord God. Restore oneness this morning, Lord God, in marriage, Lord in every respect of what that word means Lord emotional, physical, sexual spiritual thank you that your church would show the world what it means to live pure lives Lord with good marriages strong healthy marriages Bless Zachal, Lord God. Be with him, Lord God. Goes to university next year, Lord. Protect him. Put your hand upon every single one of these men. Brian, Lord, bless him. Richard, bless them, Lord God. Bless them, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Those that are battling with pornography, Father, break it off now, Lord. Father, let the masks come off. Father, we ask you now, supernaturally, will you come and restore hearts, Lord God? Will you come and put what's missing that that pornography is trying to cope with, that's trying to find, Lord God? Let them find you, Lord God. That's enough, Lord. Thank you, Jesus.
beautiful single woman, Lord God, waiting for their groom, Lord. Waiting for a man to sweep them off their feet, to pursue them, to love them selflessly, never to defraud them, never to cheat them. Never marry a man that would be a, that was a cheat and a fraud. Father, let us never marry people that are cheats and frauds sexually with us, Lord God. It's incomprehensible. Father, let their revelation come, Lord. Where we've messed up, Lord God, come and heal, Jesus. Mighty name, Lord. 